Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, colleague, acquaintance, Mr. Patrick Farrell. This week, we're going to be discussing the topic of gaming. So if you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that the last couple of podcasts, we've been kind of building up different discussions of nutrition. We started off with the, the kind of basics of diets so basic principles of nutrition in general. Then we moved on to discussing how those principles apply to fat loss and more applied things like what's an appropriate deficit, what's an appropriate rate of loss, when should you be making changes, etc. And now we're basically going to have that same conversation applied to muscle gain. And then from here, we'll basically take the next few episodes to get into more specific niches. But this podcast is going to be all about muscle gain, the process of weight gain. Yeah, now this, this podcast is actually easier in terms of, well, actually, forget about the, even the podcast the discussion. The actual topic of weight gain is actually really, really fucking easy because pretty much anyone can do it correctly in terms of you basically just need to eat more and you will gain weight, right? It's not like, you know, a fat loss diet like we discussed in the last one where, you know, you have considerations around, oh, uh, you know, I need to maintain or retain the muscle that I have. I need to ensure that there's an adequate stimulus for that. You know, there's not really a concern with gaining. Like even if you didn't resistance train, by virtue of getting bigger, you would probably like in terms of just, you know, gaining weight, you would probably gain muscle. Now, is that the most ideal way to gain muscle? No, certainly not. And it is haphazard at best in terms of, yeah, you might gain muscle, but it's probably all around your your calves because you now weigh 300 pounds and, you, you know, like you, you just gained weight and it, it wasn't actually effective in terms of actually trying to achieve what you were trying to achieve, generally speaking, which is to improve your body composition by virtue of, you know, gaining some muscle. And that has the, naturally enough the side effect of improving your muscle mass, which generally correlates with better health, right? And along the way, you will have had to get stronger to build that muscle and strength also correlates with better health, you know, especially in that longer term, you know, we'll call it OAP scenario, having more muscle mass and having more of a strength reserve as you get into your older years is probably a fucking good idea, you know? And so don't just look at this whole discussion from the perspective of, oh, this is just for, you know, guys that want to have huge pecs and arms or whatever. No, this, this is something that you need to know how to do regardless of the population you are talking to. Yes, for sure, there's going to be certain segments of the population that, you know, don't actually want to grow muscle, but they're actually so, so few, far in between, few and far between when you actually dig into what people want, you know? And so you have to understand what's going on. You have to understand how to set up your diet to achieve what we actually set, want to set up or what we actually want to achieve, right? So you need to go back again, listen to, I think it was episode 99, which is just, you know, the diet fundamentals, the kind of basics, how to set stuff up. You need to listen to that because it does then inform how we go about setting things up for this and some of the concerns around what we're trying to achieve, right? But the first thing that we actually need to discuss is the topic of forcing muscle gain, right? And th this is something that, even though I just said 
you can effectively just build muscle by virtue of being in a calorie surplus, right? Even if you didn't do resistance training, again, your body is resistance. Like gravity is still a thing. You still have to go against it. Your muscles still have to contract. You know, if you weigh more, they have to contract harder to do the same amount of work, you know, so they will probably get bigger. However, you know, there obviously is a limit to the amount of muscle you can gain, first of all, in your lifetime, but also in a given time period, right? And that naturally enough changes throughout your lifetime and naturally enough changes throughout your training experience, right? And there is something pervasive in the the fitness industry, the whole health and fitness industry, whatever you want to call this stuff, uh, where people effectively go on these dreamer bulks and they, they try to force muscle gain. And what I mean by that is there's obviously a limit to how much muscle we can gain, right? Just through resistance training and through like a, a small calorie surplus, right? But, you know, that might be very, very small. Let's just call it rounded out to be a kilo per month, right? Like that's only 250 grams per week, you know, which if it was just pure muscle, man, you would actually probably notice that in terms of actually being built across your body. But, you know, a lot of times there's water variability, you know, your weight goes up and down. So it's very hard to tr- keep a track of how much you're actually gaining, right? And as a result, people kind of go, oh, a kilo per month? Nah, fam, I'm going to get two kilos per week of gain, right? By the end of these two months, I want to be up 10 kilos. By the end of 12 weeks, I want to be 15 kilos heavier, you know? And they, they, they do that because they have the, the idea that, oh, I'm going to be able to force muscle gain, right? And this is, this is a, bit, a bit hard to truly understand and truly like dig apart, especially if you haven't gone back and listened to our, uh, or you didn't listen to when they were posted first, the, the, training art, the training podcasts, because what can happen is you can fool yourself into thinking that you are actually making great gains in the gym by virtue of this huge overfeeding. Like, you know, you're in a, a thousand calorie surplus, you know? But what's, what's effectively happening is, first of all, you just have more energy for the gym because you're just taking in a thousand extra calories every single day. But also you get these huge changes to your body, which aren't necessarily like contractile tissue, like muscle tissue, but they are changes that actually allow you to lift heavier weights, right? And also by virtue of the fact that you weigh more, you know, relatively speaking, the the weights you are lifting are going to be heavier. You know, if you weigh 300 pounds, like bench pressing your body weight is 300 pounds, you know? (laughs) Um, so like there are these changes that occur to your body, which then actually fool you into thinking that you are making this great, unbelievable rate of progress in the gym. Right. But I always call it kind of like false progress or fake progress, because as soon as you lose the weight, as soon as you lose the bit of bloat, like as soon as you lose those four extra inches you have built on your chest that has allowed you to rapidly increase you know, your, your bench press, which was all just, you know, fat tissue and all that strength disappears, you know, and that's really disheartening. And it leads a lot of people to never actually diet because they've effectively lied to themselves, their, their whole gaining career, because they've built a load of what they think is muscle and strength, but really it's a load of leverage advantages by virtue of having, you know, more fat mass, you know, this is especially true in like the squat, the the bench press, like if you, if you're squatting and you have this big, huge power gut, like 
it's very hard to even close your leg, like bring your legs, your knees towards your chest because the power gut gets in the way. So if you get rid of that power gut by virtue of losing body fat, all of a sudden you're, you're naturally weaker because you don't have the power gut preventing you from actually like folding in half, you know? So there is this thought process that you can force this muscle gain and it actually when you when you do it it seems to be correct it seems to be working but it's it's actually a, a false god it's a lie do you agree gary yes sir do you have anything to add to that absolutely um so yes i agree i agree with everything and i think this is a um a very it's a very lucrative approach because like the way, the way that people often kind of see these types of kind of dreamer bulk or rapid gaining type of approaches promoted is in a way that, you know, it, it's, it's typically from experienced bodybuilders or something like that who will, you know, recount their early days of bodybuilding and say, look, this is what we all did. You know, we all gained lots and lots of weight. We had a quickly, we were eating all this um, ridiculous amounts of food and that's how we got here. That's how we all got this big. Um, and the thing is, like, there is some degree of truth to that. But what you also have to ask yourself is, you know, is is someone where they are, like, because of what they did or basically in spite of what they did? You know, so they they got there, but they could have potentially done things better along the way and have had to deal with as many trade-offs along the way. And I think that's basically what we're getting at because I would definitely be in support of in the case that someone is trying to maximize their muscle mass, you will have to spend prolonged amounts of time gaining weight. You will have to probably get a little bit fatter than you'd like um, at times. And it won't always be comfortable. You'll probably be full and you'll have to overeat um, beyond that point of fullness, etc. However, that does not necessitate excessive rates of gain because what can happen is that people get very attached to that feeling, like you said, of basically pseudo strength gain. So it appears that you're gaining more strength than you actually are. And like you can understand that better if you come back to your actual basic definition of strength. Because the way that we talk about strength in the fitness industry is actually just ta the task-specific expression of force. So it's not actually your muscles maximal isolated context. So you could gain strength um, or the appearance of strength on your squat without your quads or your glutes or any of the muscles involved in the squat actually improving their force production capability. So you haven't actually gained any true strength in pseudo strength through weight gain. Because if you gain more weight, you've got more um, padding at the back of your knee. You've got padding at the anterior hip. You could have changes in leverage that are favorable for you. And all of these things make it seem like you're gaining more strength than you actually are. And one of the difficult things then is that when you do go on those dreamer bulks, like you're alluding to, once you diet down, it appears like you're actually losing a lot more strength than you are. Whereas what you're actually losing is the padding that was helping you out. So it's a bit like taking off your knee sleeves and noticing a difference in strength as opposed to you actually changing um, the strength that you can produce in your quads. And, and the other thing about that, the, the drawback of, of kind of, you know, excessively gaining um, too quickly, getting too attached to that feeling of your t-shirts being full um, or being a certain clothing size. You know, once you get that large t-shirt, you don't want to be swapping back to medium, even if your body fat percentage is a little bit too high. Um, and the other, the other big trade-off beyond that point is obviously when it comes to health. Um, because when, when it comes to excessive rates of weight gain, like one of the things that, that you know, people don't often realize is that, a lot of the metabolic consequences um, 
you know, of obesity and everything are accumulating when you begin to, to gain weight, especially if you're overfeeding regularly, you know? So if you're constantly trying to overfeed, if you're overfeeding by a thousand calories, you know, you're trying to eat lots of processed foods and everything that people regularly do when they're trying to, to gain weight, that could be compounding the issue. Um, and it, it can even get, you know, you, you get into the path of potentially reduced glucose tolerance, you're a little bit more insulin resistant, you get some of the complications of that, you could be getting more fat around your abdominal area and particularly around your organs. And all of these things start to lead to problems that put you at risk of actual, you know, disease in the future. And obviously, none of us want to be in that position. And like some people take this to the point where if you get if you take your your weight gain so far that yeah, it's compromising your health, and it starts to even compromise your breathing, your sleep. Like some people, especially like large bodybuilders, will deal with um, obstructive sleep apnea when they're sleeping. And then that begins to compromise your sleep quality. And these things can actually start to then degrade your potential for muscle gain. So that's kind of the extreme is, yeah, your health. You know, maybe it's not that much of a concern for you. You're like, ah, I can deal with the health stuff. You know, I don't care if my blood lipids are off or my cardiovascular disease risk goes up, whatever. But it can get to the point where it's actually degrading your potential for progress too, because of the metabolic uh, ill health effects and potentially the effects in your sleep. So it's not a, it's not just more muscle you're getting out of it. You're potentially dealing with greater trade offs in health and potentially muscle gain as well. One hundred percent. So again, the moral of the story is you can't force muscle gain. It's going to occur at the rate that is already genetically predetermined. And I say, uh, yeah, genetically. And I say that with the context that, you know, your genetics don't work. You, you work, you know, like you have to give the signal. So if you're not your genetics, say you have the potential to be 300 pounds shredded and you never lift a weight in your life, you're probably not going to get that big, you know? And which also uh, noting 300 pounds, the, the thing about this also, which must be taken into account, is <clears throat> that uh, a lot of this advice that comes out in the fitness industry for people trying to gain weight does actually come from enhanced bodybuilders, right? Who are a population that if a dreamer bulk was to work, that would be the exact population that it would work in because they take all of the drugs that improve that nutrient partitioning, right? And what I mean by that is, say you overfeed by a thousand calories, right? Uh, just very simply, you know, it, it's technically incorrect, but it, it, it serves as a good, uh, you know, description of this. Uh, say you overeat by a thousand calories, your natural limit at the point you are in now, say you are a newbie lifter, 500 of those calories go towards what you want, right? building muscle, recovery, all that stuff, right? But 500 us calories are like, we're a surplus, surplus. We're, we're extra, extra, right? Um, so we're going to float around for a while. And yeah, it looks like you don't really need us. So we're going to get stored somewhere else for future, right? And that somewhere else for future is fat, fat gain, right? Body fat, right? And that's you as a beginner lifter, right? You've got this nutrient partitioning of 50-50, depending on, again, how large the overfeeding is. But in this example, it's 50-50. But if you are an enhanced bodybuilder and you are taking all of the anabolic steroids that you possibly can get your hands on, you know, growth hormone, insulin, whatever else, anything that, that'll help with this, right? You potentially get to a stage where, you know, more of that overfeeding 
is partitioned where you want it to go, you know? So we're saying as a natural here, you got this 50-50. As this enhanced athlete, you now have this 80 or 90 to 10, you know? So more of it is going towards where you actually want it to go towards rather than fat gain, right? So naturally enough, they're going to be like, huh, why don't you just eat more? Like literally, if you want to gain weight, just eat more. Because that has always worked for them because they've always been on drugs that lead all of that eat more to gain more, you know? And when I mean gain more, I say like gain muscle, you know? So if this overfeeding, this dreamer bulk is in a population, like you have to try hard, like very hard to get fat if you are on anabolics, you know? And I don't say that in terms of like, oh, this, it's just this wonder magic drug that just works and you're just going to only gain muscle. What I mean is like you are, you, if you were to do the exact same practices that you were doing now on anabolics as a natural, you would be much, much, much fatter than you currently are, right? Um, so that is something that you should take into account. Like who is telling you or where is the source of this information? That's not to say that all enhanced bodybuilders, athletes, whatever, put out bad information. No, not at all. However, you just have to question, is this the right advice for me is this the right advice for the population that I fall into, you know? So that is something to keep in mind. You can't force muscle gain. Even if you're on drugs to help with that, you still can't really force it. There's always going to be some fat gain, you know, associated with this, right? So which brings us to the next point, which is like, how, how fast should we gain? Because we've touched on a few things here where, you know, perhaps the, the rate of gain, your nutrient partitioning abilities at the start of your training career, that's probably going to be different than at the end of your training career or like further into it. You know, if it wasn't, what you'd see is, oh, I gained five kilos my first year of lifting. And then your second year, I gained five kilos. And then your third year is like, I gained five kilos. And you just keep going until you literally reach 300 pounds, which, you know, it, it doesn't happen, you know? So there obviously is this kind of slow reduction in your muscle gain potential which naturally leads you to having to change your your diet protocols because if you could always overfeed and gain you know kilos of muscle and now you're at a stage where okay i overfeed and it's ending up that i i gain like 100 grams of muscle but i've gained for every one of those kilos that i was gaining 900 grams of fat you now have to diet off that 900 grams of fat and in doing so potentially lose that 100 grams of muscle, right? So there's naturally enough a difference here uh, in terms of the rate of gain for someone at the beginning of their, their lifting journey to someone at the end of their lifting journey, you know? And again, you don't even have to understand why this occurs or anything. Just on a practical level, you don't see people that are 200 kilos walking around, you know, uh, unless they're on drugs or unless they're literally fucking mutant six foot ten half Thor Bjornsson you know <laughs> um you just don't see people walking around at 200 kilos because that's what you would presume if it was the case that oh well I just need to eat more to gain more that's that's the natural consequence of that where you just it's the, the, the biggest people are literally just the people that have been doing it the longest you know that would that would be the case which you know that actually generally is the case but it's not necessarily that they they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, unless, of course, you know, they go on drugs or whatever, right? However, we also need to touch on the fact that there are potentially differences 
between the sexes in terms of how fast we should gain, again, due to the, the potential for muscle gain, right? But we need to kind of bring this down and actually look at it from like a, a kind of practical perspective. Like how, as a general rule, if you had skinny Gary, you know, could hardly do a single push-up at 16 or whatever, you know, like what, what rate of gain? Like if you're saying, okay, look, we're going to set up your diet. We're going to try gain as much muscle as we can while minimizing fat gain, right? So we've got skinny Gary, you know, testosterone is, you know, being pumped around his body. He's a, a young, <laughs> virulent male, um, but he just hasn't been doing resistance training. Like just, just hasn't been. So there's been no, there's been no training whatsoever, apart from like kicking the football around or whatever, um, doing some dancing. Um, so for him, what's, what's the, what, what's the, how are we setting up the diet and what, like how we, if we don't know what rate we're looking for, we can't set up the diet because obviously the rate of which we want to gain, that's going to dictate how we set up the diet because that's going to dictate how many calories we need to eat. So what, what's an acceptable rate of gain for this skinny Gary here? Yeah. So when we, when we discussed the topic of fat loss, we basically said that you could aim for somewhere between 0.5 and 1% um, loss per week. And you can potentially even be more aggressive than that um, in some circumstances. If you want to learn more about that, go back and listen to the last episode. But put the, to, to carry that over here would be less appropriate. And this is the important thing to understand because I think sometimes you, people can think that, all right, calories in, calories out. Boom. If, I, if I'm going to lose weight, I can just do X. And then basically gaining weight is just X, but in the other direction, you know, but, that, but that's not necessarily the case. So if you were to try and gain 1% of your body weight um, per week, like let's say you're 100 kilos, then you're looking at four kilos a month of weight gain. Like imagine doing that for five consecutive months and then you're up 20 kilos. Do you think much of that is going to be muscle? Of course not. Um, and that rate of gain is going to be more detrimental to your health than the slower rates of weight gain. So we can't just carry over those things. And generally what I kind of look at it as is more so like taking those weekly values, like making it simple for people, taking those weekly values and applying them monthly instead, you know, and potentially a little bit above, but applying it monthly as kind of a starting point. So what I would say to people is that, you know, gaining around 1% of your body weight per month is probably a good starting point for people who are, you know, you're, you're moving along quick enough to see progress and so that you're not wasting time because that is one of the things you can run into here if you try and gain too slowly it's actually difficult to pick up the signal from the noise so if you're gaining let's say i don't know 0.2 kilos per month like that's something that can fluctuate day to day very easily and a lot more than that so you could be thinking that you've made progress over the course of a month and then note that, oh, actually, my, my monthly average is the same as last month. And then you've wasted a month of your, of your gaining. Like, it's not totally wasted. Yeah, but it's, not, that's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a huge issue, but it is something that, again, like, we're talking here about, like, oh, we, wanna, we want, like, especially because we train people, you know, I, like, I don't want to be like, oh, sorry, yeah, we just yeah. wasted that month of your money. I know you were paying me for it. Uh, Saws. Um, like, obviously, that's, that's not something, that, that's not a conversation I want to have with a client. So obviously we're going to come from the perspective that that's somewhat wasted, but if you're training yourself, you're learning, you're educating yourself, you maybe got a little bit stronger over that month. You know, it's, it's not exactly a huge, huge issue. But again, from our perspective, like 
coaching individuals. Like that's, that's what we do. Like that, that to me, I'd be like, Oh, here, sorry. I'd almost want to give them a refund. I probably would give them a refund for that month. Be like, here, look, sorry, just I wasted your time that whole month, you know? Um, so obviously we're going to come from that perspective a little bit more, like view that a little bit more negatively than you potentially would view it if you were a real person, you know? Yeah. And that is the thing because like part of like coding is like one, it's our job to help someone get progress, but it's also our job to impart them with the knowledge of what the process looks like. So they're able to go on and do the future. So I'm generally looking for more perfection than I would expect someone to get if they were on their own. Um, and that doesn't always happen. And like personally, like, you know, if someone has, if someone hasn't lost weight in, let's say, two to four weeks so they haven't gained weight it starts it, it gives you a little bit of anxiety because you're like do you know what i don't want to jump the gun too soon and make a decision and, and bump or decrease calories because there could be other things um but i also don't want to just let the person kind of keep going and not make any progress because the other side of that is that if you're not seeing a metric that you view as important moving in the right direction it can actually lead to worse outcomes because your adherence is compromised because you're not getting positive feedback you're not seeing those kind of results those rewards that would make you want to continue doing um, or engaging in the behaviors that you're engaging in so that's just an important thing to to kind of keep in mind when you're, th when you're thinking about this um so yeah basically if your rate of gain is too slow uh then you do like run the risk of wasting more time than you otherwise would but to be honest over the long term that probably doesn't matter that much because it is a learning experience and if you do have a month where oh i actually didn't get any weight then you're just saying to yourself well that's actually good because now i have a fair idea of where my maintenance is at because you have an average for the whole month and very rarely do people ever spend the whole month at maintenance so then you actually know that's my maintenance and now I know where to go. So you know where to go from, from there for the next kind of uh, phase. So like the, starting off with a kind of 1% body weight gain per month is probably um, a, a some starting point for most people. The thing is, if you're a beginner, it really does depend on the response that you're actually seeing. Okay. Because for example, if someone starts as a beginner and they let's say they have a really poor response to training and they're also just not training hard they're kind of on and off and they're gaining a, a like let's say a kilo per month then they could go through six months of training where they haven't been adhering properly they haven't been having a great response and all they've gained is five five kilos of fat and a kilo of muscle like that's obviously not a great outcome whereas if someone was going through that process and they were gaining one percent and they were just like hyper responding at the beginning and you were seeing like this person looks leaner, but they're gaining weight, then you could potentially, you know, try to leverage that by bumping up your rate of gain a little bit more. Um, that's something that's difficult to gauge because you can kind of think to yourself, well, we're getting like great responses here without getting, gaining any fat or little fat. So maybe we should just stay here and then save those extra calories for when we need them. So like, I think that's kind of like, you know, six of one half a dozen of the other. I don't think you need to stress about it too much. I would just start with that kind of 1% uh, weight gain per month. You could say that, you know, as you get more advanced, you may need to uh, slow that down a little bit potentially. Um, but at the same time, I think when you are more advanced, like you want everything to be working in your favor as well. So this is something I kind of go back and forth on in my own head, because I know people always say like, you know, once you get to the advanced stage, you're really just like, you're barely gaining any weight. You're kind of maintaining, you're just hoping that muscle kind of adds on. But, from my perspective, I think that the anabolic, the, the extra anabolic signaling that you're getting from being in a surplus that's actually kind of measurable that you can see a little bit of weight gain with, 
I think you're probably a little bit better off. Like, I don't know the answer to this because we don't have those answers, but I think you're better off to see measurable weight gain, even if you are advanced and just using your, whatever your cutting phases when you kind of need them. Well, you're frozen. Um, but not YOLO bulking. You are still more content. What do you think about that? Because you just froze. Yeah, go, um, go ahead. Yeah. Basically, it comes down to, like, to answer this question, it kind of comes down to there's probably an optimal body fat range in terms of this is the range that things work very well. You know, like you might, for example, experience, go get lean, diet down, get down to like, we'll say 8% body fat. And you're like, yeah, man, I'm fucking jacked, I'm shredded, look great, whatever. Right. And yeah, you're an advanced trainee. You know, you maybe have another, we'll say five total kilos of muscle that you can gain over your lifetime. Cause you know, you're so fucking large, Gary. Um, and you know, it, it probably behoo- like you would think then you go, okay, I'm just going to slowly gain those five kilos, like very small surplus, try to gain that a kilo per year because you're so advanced. You're like, yeah, I'll just very, very slow. Well, first of all, that's nearly impossible to measure. Right. And second of all, nobody ever said that this rate of gain was possible at such a low body fat. And what I mean by that is there's probably a range of body fat that is best or is most conducive to these signals being like optimal, right? Like there's, there's all, there's, whenever you get into any kind of biochemistry or even cell signaling or anything like that, basically there's a lot of shit that we just don't know. And anyone who tells you like, this is the exact thing that happens. It's like, yeah, like we can measure it there, but we have to look at the entire environment, which is very rarely done with a lot of these studies because it's actually near impossible to do and you basically end up doing epidemiology and not like biochemistry or well biochemistry just would never do it but uh in like cell signaling sort of stuff you know so there probably is an optimal body fat range for most people that allows them to gain muscle at a favorable rate and for uh, like we have numbers on our site where we're like these are the numbers that we kind of think are probably most optimal and that's both to give you a guideline of how to start setting things up in terms of, okay, diet down to this number roughly and then gain, but like end your gaining phase when you reach this number. We'll just say arbitrarily for guys, diet down, get down to 8% and then slowly gain weight until you get up to the higher end of that range. We'll just call it like 16%. And once you've done that, then maybe enter a maintenance phase and then kind of repeat the process. And then over a few cycles of doing that, you know, you will have accumulated more muscle, right? But what we're talking about right now is like, how fast should you go from that 8% to that 16%, right? And ultimately, I think you are probably right in saying that as a beginner, 1% per month, you know, that's probably the top end that I would go for unless you were like a hyper responder, like you were just seeing muscle gain, like you actually were getting leaner, like, you know, like then I would probably be like, all right, look, you can go above that. But for the most people who just aren't hyper responders, then I would say cap it out at 1% body weight per month, you know? And as a general rule, I, I don't really like to see people gain more than a kilo per month, you know? Cause like I'm pretty sure the literature has only ever shown that one kilo of actual muscle per month. That's the max 
that has ever been gained, you know, in, in a lab setting. I'm not saying it's ever been gained full stop. Like, I'm sure there is some freaks in nature that have actually done it. But we, I, I'm pretty sure that that's the number that we know for certain or scientifically, whatever. And so if you're gaining more than that, unless you are a freak of nature that is just completely outside the norm, you're probably not gaining all muscle. Now, again, it doesn't have to all be muscle, but that would be something that I'd be concerned with if, you know, month after month, you're gaining more than a kilo, you know? So ultimately, that leaves us in a position where it's saying like, okay, let's cap this out at 1% or 1 kg, whichever is, you know, sooner. And if you, or as you get more advanced, the amount that you can gain and thus the rate at which you should gain should probably be lower right? Like the, the amount you can gain is definitely lower, but the, the rate at which you should gain is probably lower as well. You know, you should do it over a longer time period. However, with all that in mind, there probably is a, a body fat range that is optimal for you as an individual to maximize your results. And this is both from that leverage perspective that we were talking about earlier on. Like, you know, you might be very lean, but notice that your, your knees just always feel like they're about to snap. Like they don't feel sturdy in a, a squat or something. And you're just like, I don't feel like I'm not able to put my best effort in here. But once you get up to like 12% body fat, you're like, oh, there's just this little tiny bit of padding here that actually improves my leverages just enough that I'm actually able to really progress my movements, you know? And having done that over weeks, months, years at that slightly higher body fat, you then gain muscle, you know? Um, so there is a potential for that. And that's not necessarily the rate of gain, but that's more so arguing that there's probably a body fat range that is ideal for you as an individual for muscle gain. Now, very rarely would I see that in going up into the 20, 30% body fat for males. You know, that's, that is the range for females. Like, you know, probably down at the 16% body fat is like, pretty fucking jacked like I, I i don't see as a female getting below 16 percent body fat, like a true 16 percent like you're, you're jacked at that so for females it's probably around the range of like 20 to 30 uh, is the like 20 percent body fat the 30 percent body fat is probably the range that leads to the, the best rate of gain for most people and again once you get above that you know it's probably not optimal from a health perspective but it's also probably not optimal from uh a nutrient partitioning perspective and thus a, an actual muscle gain perspective, you know, but like Gary was saying there about, you know, he goes back and forth in his mind. Like there probably is uh, a, a body fat percentage range that, you know, you actually are able to gain muscle a little bit easier just from leverages, just from this overall anabolic signaling that's going on. However, you just have to kind of investigate that for yourself um, and it kind of goes ties in with what we're talking about at the end then uh, in terms of, you know, kind of self limiting people, they, they, they're trying to lean gain and they're, they're afraid of getting fat. Right. Um, but do you find anything you want to add to that? Cause we're just going to tidy that up a little bit. Do you have anything else to add? Um, no, I think like I just to kind of reinforce that point, like I, cause, because I have heard like counters to it, you know, in terms of the, uh, like there being like basically that point related to the the p ratio so basically your rate of muscle gain to your rate of fat fat gain being more in favor of fat gain the higher your body fat actually gets okay so i think like i would agree with that you would agree with that some people don't necessarily agree with it because we don't have 
we don't really have evidence with any degree of granularity that would give us an idea of like, all right, where is that point for individuals or even subgroups of individuals? Like it, it is, it is one of those cases where we are kind of like mechanistically hypothesizing, but I would definitely rest on that side of things because I just find it hard to believe that putting yourself in a position where you have, you know, poor metabolic health, um, you could be, you know, you're getting more hypertensive, you could have more, you know, body fat around your, your liver and stuff, you're getting like more insulin resistant. I struggle to see how that would be in any way uh, conducive of more muscle gain rather than less at a given, um, a given level of a surplus because it is fundamentally putting yourself into a chronic inflammatory state. And generally what you see with higher levels of inflammation is that that's going to be um, negative from a hypertrophy perspective. So I think it's one of those things where, yeah, we don't really know where this point lies, but getting fatter and fatter, we already know it's a bad idea for your health. We, you're just going to have to diet it off again. And if there is reason to believe that it could potentially also compromise muscle gain, even if it's not that significant, I think it's fair to kind of hold that perspective and to at least put it into your equation, you know, when you're making these decisions. Yeah. And ultimately, like we can mechanistically hypothesize back and forth about this, but ultimately from a practical perspective, just like what you said there a second ago, you're going to have to diet that fat off eventually. Right. So like the, ultimately speaking, the person that can stay in a surplus for the longer time and not have to interrupt that with a dieting phase is the one who will get bigger. Right. Because they've spent more time actually gaining. So if you gain and you do this fucking dreamer bulk for six months and then have to diet your ass off for six months to get lean again, then you're probably going to lose muscle in, in, in that time period. Like again, practically speaking, it's just, it's not as conducive to long-term or even short-term results because, you know, look at the other individual who does it the opposite way and, you know, gains slowly for nine months and then does a 12 week diet and gets absolutely jacked out of their mind. You know, like practically speaking, forgetting about like, Oh, will you lose muscle or won't you lose muscle? Like a 12 week diet is much easier than a six month diet. Assuming that like you also have to lose more weight on the six month diet. And um, I'm not talking about like you just do this very, very low, uh, very small calorie deficit over six months versus someone who does an aggressive one over 12 weeks, you know? Um, so like just from a practical perspective, it's probably easier to stay on track if you can still see the results that you're getting. You know, you can still see muscles being built, being built. Um, but that, whereas if you're just gaining a, a lot of fat, like it, it's actually a little bit demotivating. And I've been there. Like I literally got up to like 120 kilos, like, uh, like when I was, I gave up boxing and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and just get fucking jacked. Cause I was going to the gym, but you know, I was actually like, now let's go to the gym and get jacked. And like, I was seeing great strength returns. I was seeing whatever fucking didn't like the way my body looked because i literally just was fat and um, but i was like ah oh, man this is how you get big when i diet down man i'm going to be huge i dieted down and i was 95 kilos and like i gained maybe five kilos so i had to lose 25 kilos of pure body fat just to gain five kilos you know whereas i probably could have just gained five kilos over a year of you know, slowly gaining that and never have to have dieted down, you know, but I just didn't know any better. You know, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to save you from making all of these mistakes and, you know, not have to get up 25 kilos of body fat heavier than you needed to be to realize that you were actually in fact very fat and then had to diet it all off, you know? And so just from a practical perspective, it's probably not a great idea. 
to even if you go oh mechanistically i don't see why you would not be able to gain muscle after a certain body fat it's like okay well even if mechanistically there's no reason for this and you don't agree with that you still have to die the body fat off eventually and this is the only people this is a little bit uh you know anecdotal but the only people i ever see arguing for this are the people that stay at a higher body fat all year round anyway you know i'm like yeah of course you're gonna you're gonna argue for your own perspective because you enjoy staying at a body fat or maybe you don't enjoy it but it's you enjoy food so much that you have to stay at a uh higher body fat you know like they basically it's a a self-justification for the fact that they you know like to be 30 percent body fat or maybe they don't like it but they're like they, they like food enough that they stay at 30% body fat. So they're like, yeah, man, I'm not compromised in my muscle gain pr- perspectives or my prospects. I, it's, I don't see why I don't agree with that at all. You know? And then they never actually get lean. You know, they never actually diet down. So it's like, stop, tr- stop diluting the industry with your, your noise because you just don't want to diet down and you, know, you like food so much that you have to stay at a higher body fat. Just say that. That's fine. Like, no one cares. Literally, it's so irrelevant. You know? um, but anyway, that's, that's just as an aside. So the next thing we just want to touch on with this to kind of tidy it up is just to reiterate that, you know, it's probably 1% to one kilo or sorry, 1% or one kilo per month, whichever one of those makes more sense for you as an individual. And that's at the beginning of your, your lifting career. As you get further advanced, that's going to go down. Now, how far that's going to go down? I don't know. I can't give you a, a specific number. I can't tell you exactly, you know, two years into your lifting, it's going to be at, uh, 0.5% or half a kilo. Now, I, I can't tell you, you know, this is something that you're going to have to experiment, tweak based on that, right? But you want to think of it in terms of at the start, that's probably the, the, the max I can do. And as I get further and further, I should probably be looking for less and less, right? Um, just as a general perspective, right? Now, that also assumes that your training is on point and the rest of your diet is actually set up correctly. You know, like you're not doing something like eating a a really low protein diet and, you know, your resistance training is just terribly set up. There's no actual like thought to that. All of those things have to be, or again, you're doing something like not sleeping or something. Um, All of those things have to be on point. You have to actually dial those things in to have all this stuff work. Unfortunately, you can't just pick and choose what you want. Oh, I'll just work on my diet this month and I'll fix everything. No, unfortunately, you have to do everything. Um, But that's that's what we need to to have. We need to have a surplus that gets us gaining at roughly a 1% body fat or a 1% rate of gain at the start of our lifting careers. And then that should be slowly lower and lower as we get advanced right there is also a difference between the sexes between male and female and that's just again this is just very generic this is not to say this is a hard limit like there are definitely women that can gain more muscle or more yeah more muscle faster than uh, some men um, and vice versa there's just you know there's no hard and fast rules but as generalities uh, men gain muscle a little bit faster and magnitude wise more uh than women so that is something that you should take into account when you are designing up your plan of action if you are a woman you should maybe think about doing things a little bit slower and i just arbitrarily i'm going to say half the rate we were just saying then again so <coughs> excuse me if you were to go with that one percent you know per month at the start as a female i'd probably just go with a 0.5 percent or like a half a percent per month as a, a newbie and then as you progress again that will get lower and lower you know which is just unfortunate because it's just very very hard 
to keep track of, but unfortunately they are the cards you are dealt if you are trying to build more muscle as a female. All right. Um, would you agree with that, Gary? Yeah, more or less. Again, it's one of those things where we're like, hmm, not exactly sure, you know, is it a 50% difference between men and male and female? You know, you told, you alluded to that, you made that point. We don't know, but it's just one of those things where, look, if we know that on average, you probably have less of an absolute, you know, uh, potential for muscle gain, then it's, it's probably worth being a little bit more conservative. Just makes sense. Again, from a practical perspective, again, we can argue over the nuances and different, like different people, like you could have PCOS or something, hyperandrogenism, like there could be anything on a, an individual basis that would lead you to being able to build more muscle uh, faster or more muscle in total magnitude. But as a generality, like I just go half. That's what I would look to expect from a client that was in the position. They're like, I want to gain some muscle and they were female. I'd be like, all right, well, just practically speaking, we're just going to arbitrarily use half as the uh, starting point assumption and then tweak it based on the actual you know, outcomes. And you would do the exact same thing with a male. You'd go, I'm just going to say 1% as a, an arbitrary start point. Oh, no, we're gaining way too much fat at that. Let's drop it down. You know, it's the exact same thing you would do with a female, right? And just, so, just one more, one more yeah. thing before you go. One more thing on that point that's important to consider, especially like if you're a, if you're a coach and you're a guy you know, like there is like, it's obviously not the case for all women who are going to be coming to you. But in general, I think it's fair to say that guys are way more hyped about the bulk um, than women are in general, you know, in terms of like that process of muscle gain, like guys are like, boom, like filling out the t-shirt and stuff. Like I'm feeling good, even if they have a little bit of a belly. Some people can get more excited about filling out the t-shirt and the hoodies and, and all that sort of stuff. Whereas in general, women are not as pumped about you know their dress no longer going up all the way or whatever it might be and that's definitely something i've had reported from a number of my clients um female clients over the years that although they're they're pretty hyped about the strength and the muscle gain you know and the food and the food is a big one um you know, the clothes fitting awkwardly and, you know, not being, maybe not being as confident at times or whatever. Um, because in general, like women are going to be less hyped about, oh yeah, I want to be big and strong than men in general. But that there are lots of exceptions to that too. Yeah, you're just sex as big as you, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's important to keep that in mind, especially if you're a, a male trainer, because you may not understand the, that perspective. Yeah, a hundred percent. Again, it is something that you need to be aware of. And obviously, like I think a lot of a lot of social media these days is actually again teaching people, teaching women the the benefits of gaining weight. And um, but like we discussed in the, the last podcast, a lot of the time it is a little bit deceptive because you know you could just have favorable fat distribution and have this, yeah, like just gain weight and like it literally all goes to your boobs and your ass and you know, you're telling everyone that this is the best thing you've ever done in your life. And it's like, yeah, literally all went to your boobs and your ass, like that probably is the best thing you did in your life. You're like, this, it was a great response to the diet, you know, the, the, the diet manipulations. Whereas, you know, uh, plain Jane over here, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to try, you know, get, gain a little bit of weight here. And it just literally all goes to her belly and she feels even worse about herself. You know, like it's like, that's, it's not exactly the, the, the response that you wanted from a gaining phase. So it is something that you need to be aware of. It is something that, you need to keep in mind if you are training females or you are training yourself, you are setting up your own diet and you are a female. You know, your response to training is 
like it's unfortunate that the industry has been for so long just dominated by males and mm-hmm. um, but I'm purely from the perspective that you know the, the content that is then put out is generally aimed at males and you know it just is told to females as if it's the exact same but it's, it's just not and um, but ultimately you effectively just have to be more aware of your individual response to diet manipulations, training manipulations, whatever else, you know? Um, right. Final thing on this, there's two related things. Do you have anything else to add before we go into that, Gary? No, that sounds good to me. Um, of course you don't because you're texting away on your phone. Scum. You don't even care about our podcast listeners. I'm doing work. Watch this. Yeah. says he's doing work but anyway right so the next thing final thing we're going to go on to is the concept of lean gaining and i say this is the final thing but it's actually not the final thing there's two parts to this and then we finally need to go actually like here's some numbers like let's translate everything we just said into actual numbers in terms of setting up your diet right and so the next thing then is we've touched on it a little bit in uh a few minutes ago but the concept of lean gaining and people do using the term lean gaining they're like oh i'm just lean gaining bro uh for the process of never actually gaining right they're like oh yeah i'm just i'm just staying lean i'm just I'm, I'm just trying to lean gain i just want to only gain muscle and it's like yeah there probably is a calorie level that you can eat that leads to only muscle gain like if we look back at the perspective we're saying there there's a, a nutrient partitioning ratio you're like oh well whatever, 50% went to muscle and 50% went to fat. You know, you could eat a calorie level where the majority of that, if not all of it, went purely to muscle. However, from the perspective of actually knowing where that number is, it's pretty impractical. It's just nearly impossible to actually know because again, your metabolism is adaptive. So you think, oh, if I only eat 50 extra calories, it'll all go to muscle. But all of a sudden you start fidgeting more and your body heat goes up and those 50 calories are just burned through and there's no change in the scale. You know, like it's, it's, it's very hard to really keep track of that, right? And this is something that I've seen so many, especially young guys um, and females just in general, they do this so much. They're like, oh, I'm lean gaining, lean gaining, right? That's what they tell you, right? And lean gaining as a concept is brilliant. Again, like I'm like, there probably is a, ca- a calorie level where you can minimize your fat gain and maximize your muscle gain however in my mind that's just gaining like that's the that that is that is what we want to do with gaining full stop right like i'm not putting someone on a calorie level where we intentionally get fat like yeah they intentionally slowly accumulate fat over weeks months years and by virtue of being in this surplus that leads us to you know, building muscle. But we're always trying to minimize our, our fat gain, like always trying to minimize it, you know? So this whole concept of lean gaining, it doesn't really make all that much sense, you know? It, that's just gaining in my mind, right? And what you will see people go to, oh yeah, like we're lean gaining. This is the process we're doing. We are lean gaining. And again, they just use this as a, a justification to never actually gain weight, right? They're like, oh, I'm just going to stay excessively skinny and excessively lean and never actually gain weight, right? Have you encountered this before? Effectively, it's a, a fear of getting fat and uh, lying to themselves where they say, oh, I'm lean gaining. But if you actually ask them, like how much have you gained over the last six months? It's like, oh yeah, I gained like half a kilo, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and lean gain is one of those kind of buzzwords that has turned into like, it's kind of like a, one of those things that crosses over between like the evidence-based community and kind of buzzword marketing terms, you know, because you will see gaining shakes and meals and diets and everything promoted as means of lean gaining. And I think the key distinction there for people to note is that when you are gaining weight, there's primarily two things that it's going to be. It's going to be excess muscle or it's going to be extra muscle or it's going to be extra body fat. And that is primarily determined, the magnitude of the weight gain is going to be determined by the magnitude of your calorie surplus. And basically the increase in body weight uh, or body fat rather is going to scale more with um, the, the extra surplus. So the key thing to understand there is that lean gaining is basically just gaining less or not gaining at all. Um, so yeah, I would totally agree with that. It is a very kind of a, a lucrative thought process for people who are, you know, they're starting off, especially at a leaner baseline, um, or maybe they've, they've dieted down to a lean position and they want to now engage in a lean gaining process. And it can really limit your muscle gain at times. And while it is a very popular approach or a popular thought process among like young males, it is also something um, that occurs with women because as we kind of discussed, you know, in general, some, some, some female trainees are going to be less likely to want to um, bulk upload. So the weight gain process is already something that's not that attractive. It's something you might want to shy away from. Um, so that occurs among when, men and women. But so that lean gain process can basically justify you just kind of spinning your wheels for a long period of time. And while you may in the short term, be happier because, you know, yeah, you've got a couple of extra calories to keep your training fueled and everything like that, but you're not really making the most of your kind of investment phase. And that's the real key distinction here is that when you are trying to make progress in the long term, you really do need to use or view your kind of your approach to fitness as an investment approach that you're investing rather than just cashing in. So when you are in a gaining phase, you have to try and commit to it because you have to actually invest or else you're going to have nothing to cash in on. And for some people who are, you know, even when they're really, really into bodybuilding, one of the things that they'll do year on year is they'll kind of, they might let their body weight trickle up a little bit, but it's kind of by accident, you know, like we've talked about this a lot, many times where it's kind of by accident where diet gets loose for a while, but really the only time that they're properly committed to the process is when they're actually dieting. So you do really have to view that gaining phase as being just as important as any phase of, of dieting down or peaking or anything like that. So it is your investment phase. I think it's really important to view it like that and not try to wash it out by just trying to gain excessively slowly risking basically staying where you are 100 percent. effectively you need to get rid of your fear of getting fat and accept that some fat gain is likely to occur if you are in the process of gaining muscle you know like it's very likely will you stop messing with your phone it's actually so distracting um like so distracting um anyway uh you are probably going to have to gain some fat to gain muscle again what we said earlier on in the podcast there is probably a body fat range which is healthful and helpful for the gaining process um but trying to stay within that range or trying to stay excessively towards the lower end of that range all the time you know that's probably not the most conducive to your long-term results that's not to say that you have to you must go up towards the higher end of that range not at all, but if you are always 
at the very bottom of that range. Again, as a guy, we'll just say 8% arbitrarily. If you are always at that end range, you know, to, it's going to be very hard to eat calories or extra calories and have it all go towards muscle gain and thus keep you at that 8% body fat, you know? Um, like it's almost next to impossible to be so precise with your nutrition that that's the case that you can eat, you know, uh, a very little extra calories and have it all just go towards muscle gain. You know, again, like what are we going to do? Eat 50 extra calories and, you know, oh, we're going to wait and see how our body responds to that, right? Oh yeah, I gained 20 grams of muscle this month, Montrac. Let's keep it at that 50 extra calories for next month. You know, it's just, it's not practical. It's also not likely to actually lead to results, right? Which to wrap this all up brings us to our last point, which is how do we actually put all of that stuff into an actual practical package here? Like, like what, what are we doing with our clients, right? Like what are we, if someone comes to me, they've been, gain, they've been dieting for a while, we'll start them off, they already got lean, right? And they, they're down in the lower end of the, the body fat range. They're like, yeah, I have a six pack, have a bit of veinage going on. I look, I look good with my shirt off, but I, I've, I think I don't have enough muscle mass. I think I need to gain more muscle to look the way I want to look, right? So how are we setting up their diet to do that, right? Assume now that they've eaten at a maintenance phase for about a month, which is something we're going to touch on in the future, right? But they've dieted down, they've eaten at maintenance, so they have a fairly good idea where maintenance is. Or, you know, they listened to episode 99, got a good idea where maintenance was, and they're like, yeah, okay, cool. I've been eating at that for a month. They come to you. They're like, Gary, it's time for me to get jacked. What are they doing? Yeah. So again, very similar process to the way that we talked about um, the fat loss process in episode 100. So basically what we're going to do is we're kind of going to reverse engineer a little bit based on our desired rate of weight gain. So as you said, we know where our maintenance is now, and we're going to start to, to make some changes to the calories and macronutrients to try and uh, push weight gain in that direction. And so if we're saying that the person is trying to, you know, gain, let's say 1% of their body weight per week, then we're going to be looking at, you know, somewhere around that kind of, you know, th- not 1% body weight per week, 1% body weight per month or a kilo per month, as we were saying. So basically you're looking at a smaller surplus typically than the deficit that you'd be looking for or that you'd be aiming for. Kind of the way I kind of start off with most people gaining is I'll add, you know, around kind of 10 to 15%. That's kind of where I start in terms of like, in terms of actual calories. So if we're talking about, let's say a maintenance of someone that's around um, 3000 calories, then that's just bumping it up to 3,300. Okay. So that's kind of like my starting point because we don't need to really go, you know, 500. It's a little bit too much. It's probably going to put us um, a bit excessive in terms of the the magnitude of the surplus. So adding on 300, that's like, what is it? A 2000 calorie surplus um, per, per week. Is that right? Yeah. To roughly 2000 per week and then 8,000 per month. So if you were to add all that up, you're basically looking at just over kind of a kilo of weight gain um, per month. If you assume that things are that simple, of course, things are not really that simple, but if you start off by kind of test with that idea of how the initial. You get an idea of responses. Good energy.
hockey. So there's a higher thermic effect. So there's a little bit more energy expenditure purely through the digestive and assimilation process. So that's you know going to account for something small. Uh, that someone might have more energy, especially if they haven't been over maintenance for a while, they might spontaneously increase their physical activity. They might start sweating more. You know, their body temperature is up a little bit. Um, might start putting more effort into their training, whereas they would otherwise have kind of slacked off in their sessions. So you might find that even though you've added on a 10% increase in calories, the person's body weight didn't actually move at all. You know, it might not have moved at all and they might still be in the same position um, two weeks later. So if that does happen, that's when you begin to kind of start to make those, those kind of bottom up uh, changes. Because basically what you're doing is you're seeing how the person responds to the initial bump in calories and then you start to make your adjustments from there. So if someone does um, respond to that, 300 calorie increase by totally maintaining their body weight, then you'd basically be saying to yourself, All right, I'm not going to nudge up by 50 because you know that that's roughly maintenance now. It's 3,300. It's not 3,000 anymore. And I think that's a key point because people still think of the 3,000 as being the maintenance, whereas that's not the case. All right, well, you're just frozen, so I'm just going to start talking. Um, <clears throat> yeah, people don't realize that that maintenance does change based on you can kind how, of try and- how your body has actually been responding to those calories. They're back, Gary, now. Yeah, I've been shooting near you for the last five minutes, so um, I just started talking. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so... Your, your body does actually respond. If you want to continue talking, I don't mind. But basically, we stopped, we stopped being able to hear you when you said 3,300 is now your maintenance. Yeah, I can just keep going. Um, so 3,300 is your new maintenance. And that's really important to grasp because you're not looking at that 3,000 as being maintenance. You're looking at 3,300 as being maintenance. And hence, your calorie increase needs to be from that baseline now. So if you're trying to make progress from there, you take that 3,300, you add on your other, you add on roughly 300 again, and then see how you respond. And what you might see is that over the course of the next two weeks, all right, I've actually seen half a kilo of weight gain. Boom, you're on track. Okay, now we know that for the next two weeks, it might be somewhere similar. It might drop off a little bit, but you're probably going to get to that point where you're around a kilo per month or around 1% body weight per week, depending you know, on your weight. So so that's, that's kind of where I would start with this. But I'm almost always anticipating that someone is going to adapt to the, to the calorie increase. Like it's very rare in my experience to see someone add 300 calories to, to their maintenance and just start gaining consistently. And that's l- even less likely to be the case if someone is coming out of a dieting phase. Because what we have to realize is that the greater the adaptations that someone has had to dieting, the greater basically distance they have to make up to get back to their initial baseline. Whereas if someone has been maintaining their weight long-term, eating a calorie level consistently long-term, then their adaptation to your calorie increase is, is basically, it's extra. So it's not going back to baseline anymore. It's actually an extra increase um, metabolic adaptation, the opposite direction. Um, so you might expect that to be a little bit less. But again, like the fat loss podcast, these things vary between individuals. Some people will just start gaining and they'll do so for a few months, whereas others 
one week and they're they're sweating, you know, they're moving around, they're shaking off all the calories and they are not going to see the same level of progress. So again, it's all about paying attention to the signals that you're seeing, take the feedback and use them to make your decisions as opposed to having like a six month plan because you just can't plan ahead that far. 100%. Yeah. So I, I, I like that as well. Again, you're saying a kind of like 10% uh, mark in terms of extra calories. I, I gen- Generically, if you're like, give me the actual calories, I would say 200 to 300 for most people. That's going to get them slowly gaining weight at a like nice rate um, for it to be you know, the majorly muscle uh, rather than like the majority of it being fat. So 200 to 300 calories or again, like 10 to 15% on top of your your maintenance calories that's a that seems to be a good rate or a good level of calories to keep you moving in the right direction as long as you again adjust that based on like real world outcomes again like are you saying you could have this huge metabolic response and all of a sudden you know you're you're sweating loads you're moving around loads you're burning all these extra calories and what you thought was 200 calories extra is now just your maintenance you know so you do have to you know, yeah. look at the scale, how it's actually moving and then adjust, which is hard to do if you are doing it yourself. Like it's hard to do if you're a coach, um, but it is something that, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, so that is something that you should be aware of. And finally, in terms of actually changing your macronutrient composition, there is, doesn't necessarily need to be a huge amount done here in terms of difference from either a, a dieting phase or a uh, maintenance phase. Generally, though, I would prioritize carbohydrates. They're probably the most bang for your buck in terms of actual, you know, first of all, performance increases, which are the thing that is driving your actual physique changes. Um, and also, depending on where your protein intake has gotten to, you know, maybe it did get, you know, quite high towards the end of your diet because it increases satiety and whatever, you know, maybe you need to bring that down. Generally, I would bring that down to you know, roughly, again, that we were saying before, if you were to get, put a gun to our head, we're probably saying that 2.2 to 2.5 uh, gram uh, uh, protein range. Um, you know, I might go now, if we're purely gaining, and I know we're going to be gaining for the next while, I'd probably say 2 to 2.2. You know, you probably could get away with a little bit lower than that. But generally, again, like we do want to have some habits built up and, you know, food preferences maintained in that uh, gaining period so that when we do eventually get down to a, a, a diet period, like losing weight, it's pretty easy to shift gears a little bit and taking into consideration that ideally we're going to be building some muscle. So, you know, you're going to be gaining actual muscle, which, you know, requires more protein to maintain then. So, you know, I don't mind eating a little bit higher uh, than we might actually potentially need. Like if we said like 1.8, was the, the baseline that we're like, oh, like, yeah, we could argue maybe 1.6 is the, the low range, but I think most people would be like, yeah, 1.8, you know, um, grams per, per kg. Um, but I'd still probably say, you know, 2 to 2.2 is a good place to be at, you know, uh, in terms of protein. Now, again, the next thing that you need to consider is like, where did your fats get to? Because while I did say prioritize carbohydrates, you know, if your fats have gotten down to the very, very depth, low end, of the range, you know, we'll say it's down at 0.5 and we generally say 0.6 to one gram uh, per kg. If you got down to that 0.5, I probably would just at least prioritize getting that up to the 0.6. And again, once it falls into that 0.6 to one gram range, I don't really care too much. It, like as long as it's in there, 
we can make an argument that maybe lower is better when you're gaining because it's more likely to be, you know, contribute to fat gain. However, we could also make the argument that, you know, it's easy calories to get in and, you know, it, it, what is the contribution, the magnitude of that actually contributing to fat gain? Hard to really say, depending on, especially if you're trying to keep yourself in a relatively, you know, narrow or low calorie surplus that isn't leading to excessive fat gain in the first place. Um, but if it starts displacing carbohydrates, like you're up at that one, 1 1.2 grams per kg range and you're like, oh, I'm eating less car carbohydrates and prioritizing fat, you know, I probably would say that's not ideal as well. Um, so you have a bit of leeway in terms of where you set up your carbs and where you set up your fats. Uh, once your fats are in that 0 0.6 to 1 gram range, I'm pretty happy. And once your protein is in that range of 2 to 2.2 grams per kg, then again, I'm pretty happy. And then whatever else, you can either put that as carbs or you can put that as fats. And I would put my preference towards carbohydrates. Do you have anything to add to that, Gary? Yeah, no, just kind of supporting your point about the, the protein, because I think like it's probably different to what, to what a lot of people would say, because what a lot of people say is, and, and I kind of agree, is, you know, oh, once you're in a gaining phase because of the extra anabolic potential, you can just go to the bottom of the range. And kind of when you're looking at research, it's like, yeah, the general recommendations is like go down to 1.6 grams um, per kilo. Like that's enough, you know, that's fine. However, I think like purely from a practical perspective, and this, these are the types of things that you don't really grasp until you coach people or until you spent a lot of time gaining yourself. Because what happens when you're at 1.6 grams per kilo, like let's say I'm 80 kilos, you're talking like 130 grams of protein there. You know, if you're having four meals a day and you're having a heap of carbohydrates and a heap of fat to try and make up your calories, if you're on overall high calories, then what, what ends up happening is that you end up getting a, a far smaller proportion of your protein intake through actual protein sources, high quality, high bioavailability um, protein sources. So like you, you are compromising your, your protein quality at that point. So while there is an increase in anabolic potential from being in a surplus, I don't see how it's helpful unless you really need to bring down your protein because you just can't stomach it. I don't see how it's helpful to take a big, a big hit to your actual overall amino acid profile because it probably does matter to a small degree. You know, it, it mightn't be the, the most important thing when it comes to gaining. But if you are this type of person who's, you know, you're micromanaging things anyway, you're trying to find perfect macronutrient ratios and all that sort of stuff, I would <coughs> probably go two grams per kilo just as an insurance policy. You know, it might make no difference. It might make a one, two percent difference um, over multiple years. But, you know, that that's worth it to some people who are actually taking things quite seriously. Yeah, I'd actually even argue that it's just bad advice. Uh, full stop to do that and the only people that i ever see recommended are bodybuilders who don't eat veg anyway so they never have to consider the fact or they just don't uh, count crossover like macronutrients like and, and the people the ifom people who just want to fit as much junk in their oh, yeah, just want to eat <laughs> but again like I, I classify them as in the bodybuilder classes yeah. because you know they're just like all right vegetables nah don't eat them like the amount of them amount of bodybuilders you speak to like you, you can even just go on social media and look at their meals it's like they have like one little tiny like basically a circle floret of broccoli and be like yeah there's my veg for that meal and it's like yeah of course you can say like oh you don't need to count your veg or of course you can say like oh yeah like go to the lower end of the protein range 
But I literally could get 70 grams of protein from veg per day, yeah, like just from like different you know veg sources. Like if I put my protein down at the lower end of the range, it's like that's like half my protein now just from veg. You know, not including like oh, if I chose rice as well. Fuck man, I'm I'm fucking dust. You know. So yeah, I actually just think it's bad advice because again, the amino acid profile is just not. T- depending on how you set it up, it's potentially awful, you know? And so it is something that I would be like, just from a practical perspective, when you're coaching real world people who probably already have a hard time or a hard, you know, uh, or rather I say they, they don't in general eat a lot of veg um, and they don't uh, have things set up optimally. It's probably a little bit better to, air on the side of caution with all of your recommendations and as a result that generally tends to like in certain things we're like oh we need to have this in diet you need to increase those numbers and then things are like oh this could potentially you know be a negative of the diet you need to decrease those numbers you know and so like you do need to take that into account when you are talking like who you are talking to and who you are getting your advice off because again if it's a bodybuilder Again, most of them just don't eat veg. They literally will have like a sandwich and chicken on it and be like, yeah, there's meal too. You know, it's like, what the fuck was that? You know? Yep, I'm with you. I don't really have anything else to add there. I have nothing else to add either uh, to the whole podcast. Gary, where can people find us? And uh, I'm just going to play on my phone now. Just do what you do when uh, real distraction. Exactly. I was actually on the gram putting it on our Instagram live. Literally. <laughs> so irrelevant to me because it just makes me look stupid because you just distract me and then have everything set up for when you have your little bit to say and then it just makes me look stupid because i'm like i'm like what the fuck is gary doing over there why is he moving around loads is there something wrong and then it's like gary has everything set up perfectly he's like and now as i was just about to say this is perfectly set up for me you know it's actually cute that you actually watch me while you're talking as well because i don't look at you at all i'm literally i just reading research here (laughs) irrelevant to me a book out <laughs> now only joking um yeah anyway um as always you guys know where to find us if you need more info more contact from the triage method boys and girls you can sign up for the triage method newsletter um, in the description box below that is an email that we send out every sunday although we had a fault this week i had a fault and it didn't go out until tuesday despite sending it on sunday so now, he I did send it, lads. He literally, I had to email, I had to get in contact with him and be like, here, are we just not sending out a newsletter anymore? And he goes, oh, I thought I sent it out. Just didn't. Didn't even click send. But anyway, I hope uh, everyone enjoyed their Tuesday morning surprise. Um, but yeah, it's actually interesting how how much, how many, cli- how many clicks things get based on different days of the week. Um, but we haven't tested it out enough to see like, what's the optimal strategy, but Sunday seems to make sense. So yeah, Sunday morning or yeah, Sunday morning, you will basically get your email from us that will include number one, a topical article slash post out. Basically won't be on our social media. Um, that will be something hopefully of interest to you. So that's something that's kind of exclusive. The other thing you'll get is recommended resources. So normally I normally send some sort of combination of a book recommendation, a research paper recommendation, a general article uh, recommendation, and then either a podcast or an event or a video or tutorials or something along those lines. So 
that's useful if you're interested in just finding out more stuff. Even if you don't like us, it'll be useful um, from that perspective. And you'll get all of our content that we've shared across the week on our social media, um, along with our YouTube channel, which is technically social media. But there you go. So sign up to that below. Also, you can join the Triage Method community. Highly recommended. Uh, Triage Method community is our free open access Facebook group where you can send your questions, you can send your training videos, you can send us an update of how your progress is going on your training and nutrition program um, and ask us for suggestions as to how you can improve your progress or troubleshoot some of the issues you're having. They're all things that can happen in the Facebook group. And we also post things in there that other people um, won't have seen, you know, so for example, um, Patty's been banging out the fiber, uh, series of articles recently. I've actually just been banging out articles full stop, not just on fiber. That's been the most recent nutrition, uh, series going. So if you're interested in fiber or you're interested in just being like actually keeping up with the latest articles, because the thing is we don't post our latest articles straight on our social media because we're posting them in order. So that's what we do. We post all our, our articles from the past in order, as opposed to being like, Oh, this is new. This is new. This is new. So then if you do actually follow our social media, you can kind of, you know, take things week on week and almost treat it like actual formal education, if you will. So yeah, if you want to keep up with the latest stuff, the Facebook group is where you can access that. Now, if you're done with that, you still want to support us, make sure that you've given everything you can. You could leave a review on the podcast. You could follow us on Instagram. You could follow us on Facebook. You could follow us on Twitter and you could subscribe to the YouTube channel. All those things would be fantastic. You can also follow myself and Patty at Skinny Gaz and The Real Patty Farrell on Instagram. That would also be really helpful uh, because we post things there that don't go on the triage social media. So if you're just interested in more of that stuff, that'd be worthwhile. And then you've done all that. You want to engage more with our services. You can start with uh, online coaching if you wish. So that's the most intensive service that we offer. That's one-to-one online coaching where we work with you as an individual to try and build a training and nutrition and lifestyle approach to take you towards your goals, whatever it might be. Um, we basically, there's three of us working in the online coaching at the moment. That's myself, Patty and Lee, and we each have our own kind of individual skill sets. There's lots of overlap, but there's also, you know, in some cases we'll, you know, refer to one of us as opposed to um, the other because you might be uh, better equipped. So that's an option. Online coaching. If you don't want that group coaching is another option. Group coaching is basically um, a type of coaching in which it's a little bit more hands-off. So basically we coordinate with people through um, a private Facebook group and there's a male and a female um, Facebook group. So basically you'll access the members hub online. You'll have your program, you'll have your logbook, you'll have your um, strength uh, pillars document to kind of keep track of your PRs and stuff like that. You'll get a nutrition guidebook, a training guidebook, all that stuff is there in the members hub. And then what you'll be able to do um, in the Facebook group is, you know, send in your training videos for review, um, send in your review of your week. Let us know how things have been going so we can help you to make suggestions for the next week. And you'll have your nutrition starting point. And then what we'll do is we'll help you tweak that over time. So uh, that is basically what goes on in the group coaching. And then if you just want a training template of sorts, we do have one, uh, we've got two to six day um, program templates that are basically like, you know, quick and handy, nice and cheap, get your program, get your basic training theory and off you go. Then we do have the beginner's guide book as well, which is highly recommended for, you know, maybe trainers who feel like their kind of theoretical knowledge of why they make training nutrition decisions is not great. That's a one population that would benefit new trainers who are trying to get all their basic principle in order. 
they would benefit from the beginner's guidebook and also trainees themselves. So you may be training for the last couple of years even, and you may not know exactly what principles underlie your training and nutrition decisions. So that would be a benefit to you too. And there's also sample programs in that guidebook um, that you could use yourself or refer your family to because there's home workouts um, with no equipment. There's workouts in the farmyard. There's regular gym workouts. So there's lots of suggestions there for anyone who's trying to get uh, more muscular stronger, fitter, leaner, etc., And that's all that we have to offer. Truly wonderful, Gary. You did a great sales pitch there at the end that I just didn't listen to. Um, oh, yeah, get coaching if you're involved, if you want to get involved with coaching. If not, and you just want to keep listening to us, get advice, whatever, join the Facebook groups. There are the two things that I would recommend. Coaching is obviously ideal if you want to get results because, again, like that's what we do. Um, but if you're just like, yeah, I just want to continue the conversation, Facebook group, that's where we do it. People ask me questions on my Instagram and yeah, if it's very specific, I'll be like, all right, look, I understand why you're not asking this in the group. Here's the answer. But if it's a generic question that's like, will benefit loads of people, I'm just going to send you to the Facebook group and answer it there, you know, um, because it helps more people. Like I could literally answer everyone's question privately on my Instagram and spend whatever 20 minutes on each individual or they can ask in the group and then I answer it once and then people can search it because it's searchable there. So if you're not in the group, get in the group. And that is all I have time for today. Do you have anything else to add, Gary? Yet. Enjoy.